it's not about telling someone you've done something wrong. It's not about telling them like, this is my way or the highway, or you're failing at X, Y, and Z. It's about building people up, getting them to believe that they can do something that maybe they didn't think they could do before and coaching them to whatever skill we would like. And so it really is about that. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David List, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. Furpaws Consulting has deep expertise in helping veterinary practices reach their full potential for all types of practices, whether specialty, emergency, or general practice, by working alongside the practice owner and manager. Are you a practice owner or practice manager with a challenge and not enough bandwidth to tackle it? Reach out to me, Andrea Crabtree, owner of Furpaws Consulting, with the question that keeps you up at night. I'm able to provide expertise and insight to navigate those tricky obstacles. Find my info in the show notes, email me at andrea at furpaws.us, or check out my website at www.furpawsconsulting.com. Hello, positive leaders. Oh, we are so excited to have Amy Newfield on the show today. Amy is the Director of Veterinary Nursing Leadership at Veterinary Emergency Group. She's the owner of Veterinary Team Training and the author of Oops, I Became a Manager. She has her own YouTube channel, Facebook page, and podcast, all at Veterinary Team Training. She has a Master's of Science in Management and Leadership. She's a certified veterinary technician and a veterinary technician specialist in emergency and critical care. And I've known Amy for the better part of probably 12 years. So Amy, welcome to the show. Welcome to the thank show, Thank you so Amy. much for having me. It's a true honor. I appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. Thank you. So we have the tradition on the Positive Leadership Podcast where we don't read your bio. So without having to kind of read that, would you tell our listeners about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. And so I am a a lifer when it comes to being a veterinary technician. I had no questions that I was going to work with animals. I'm the cliche veterinary technician, and I've worn many different hats in my 23 years. I started off in small general practice in rural Massachusetts that was just a single doctor. I worked there until I pretty much became the hospital manager, and then I went ahead and went into emergency medicine. That's really where I found my love and passion and got my VTS in emergency critical care. I ended up joining the National Veterinary Response Team. It is a federally deployed animals and disasters group that's focused on veterinary medicine. So I'm still currently a part-time employee for the Health and Human Services. 
I ran a low cost spay and neuter clinic for a little bit, worked in many different specialty hospitals, and then had the opportunity to work in a privately owned specialty hospital that eventually got purchased by Blue Pearl, worked with them for many years, and now have had this amazing opportunity that VEG, the Veterinary Emergency Group, has offered me in terms of being the director of veterinary nursing leadership. So that's everything in a nutshell. <laughs> oh, amazing. And it's not like you don't have 50 letters behind your name and have done a thousand things like all of our other guests on the show. So, oh, that's amazing. So I'm sure that along your way, you have come across like a favorite book you have or podcast or continuing education course. Could you tell us about one that comes to mind that really left a lasting impression on you? Yeah, I mean, there there truly are so many. I know that sounds really cliche, but Brene Brown, anything by Brene is just fantastic. I know, right? Absolutely. I mean, she's just such an icon and she's so practical and so relatable. Dare to Lead is probably the most recent read that I've done by her. It's fantastic. I would encourage anybody to. It just does. The, I mean, all of Brene's works will leave a lasting effect on you and make you think about sort of just how you communicate to others. And if you're in a leadership role, really, what does that look like and whether or not you can improve your own leadership skills? So absolutely love anything by Brene. I have to say right back at your girl. Like, <laughs> I absolutely love her. Yeah. I just came away from the VHMA conference in Philadelphia this last year, and they had two sessions on her dare to lead. And it wasn't led by her. It was led by one of her certified instructors or whatever their terms are for them. But they had these programs there and they go through an hour and a half in each session of this dare to lead. And I've read the book. I've listened to her podcast. Like her dare to lead stuff for me is just, like you said, you come away with so much from it. And every time I go through it, I just keep getting more and more and more out of it. And man, I mean, that is like, it just cuts straight, like straight to the core of that stuff. Yeah. It's great material. Yeah, yeah. She's dynamic and her, her content is amazing. So definitely go check it out if you haven't. <laughs> And as David mentioned, and you talked a little bit about, you are all things veterinary team training. And it sounds like to me more specifically veterinary technician team training. So tell us what got you from being, like you said, you're just a technician cut and bleed, right? That's that's who you are. <laughs> Why did you go from technician to tech training? What makes training such a specific area of passion for you? Yeah, you know, if you had asked me this when I started off in the 90s, I would have said, no way, I'm not training people. They need to figure it out for themselves. You know, I was definitely that person who who unfortunately hoarded information and hoarded knowledge, but for just, a, I would say for probably only the first five years of my career. And then something sort of changes in you where once you start to learn enough you start to give back to others. And sometimes you don't even realize it. My very first job, the owners, they were very well-meaning, would occasionally bring me people who just loved animals and told me to make them veterinary technicians. And oh, so there was a couple, yes. There was the a classic bank, interview. I love yeah, animals. Yeah, I've, I trained bank tellers, uh, countless oh, wait staff, countless wait staff. They would literally bring me in and they'd say, this was our waiter or this was our waitress from the night before. And they really love animals. Can make <laughs> great great client service. Yeah. yeah. And so very early on, right outside of school, I was like, oh my gosh, here I am stuck training these people. And I really was just trying to learn myself. It was probably my second job that I really got into the focus of if you can give back to others around you, you make the whole team better, but you also make yourself better. 
And then as I've progressed in this career, I got the amazing opportunity to work several leadership roles. And within that, you just do a ton of coaching. I hate the term like I'm leading people. I'd rather it be Mm -hmm. I'm coaching people because Mm -hmm. it really is about bringing out the best in others, bringing out their skill set, bringing out their passions Mm -hmm. and just making them the best version of themselves. And it's an art form. For me, it it posed a completely different skill set. Yeah. You know, I I might be great at placing a central line or slamming in an arterial catheter, but coaching people is a whole new set. Oh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Right. A whole new base. So for me, it just makes it so special because if you can give back to others, Mm -hmm. my goodness, it it really does. It makes you as your as an in in the own career like really rewarded, but it also improves that other person as well. So and it's something I would have never thought of. I just Mm. never would have even thought that I would be in this role. So, well, we can't wait to kind of dig into this with you. So, thinking about, I mean, you're, you sounds like you are currently, and I know that from kind of your past roles, you know, when you've kind of say moved off of the floor, quote unquote, you've been a lot in, I hope it's a fair to call it kind of the train the trainer role. So, what does this look like, or what has this looked like maybe over the past, you know, several years as you've been in those roles? How do you essentially? build effective training programs at clinics. And I don't mean necessarily like what documents you type, but how do you work with, you know, kind of a current practice, whether it's in your job or your consulting business or whatnot, and get them from point A to point Z of having a really developed training program and developed trainers at, you know, how do you kind of do that? First of all, we have to figure out what is necessary and needed in that hospital. And it's it's such a varying degree. Uh, you may have some really well-qualified, highly skilled veterinary technicians, and then we have brand newbies, vet assistants that have little to no skill knowledge. I am a firm believer that the first thing is, is just having a clear understanding for the team to know what's expected of them. And so too often, we have this sort of convoluted, disjointed way that we roll out training. We just say, why don't you learn CPR? <laughs> How about some anesthesia? <laughs> right, right. I don't know. You uh, are missing your catheters. How about you brush up on that? And so there's no clear plan. And then when it comes time for the infamous annual performance reviews, which can we just get away from those? Right. Um, they're yeah. just yeah. so <laughs> horrible. Stay on that soapbox for a minute. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I hate them so much. I hate the name of them. Like they're, they're kind of pointless. We can talk about that another time. But when we get to that, that's when we say to people, well, you really haven't improved. You really haven't shown growth in your skills. And the person goes, well, what do you mean? I've done X, Y, and Z. Well, you're not at the level that we want you to be at. What the heck does that even mean? And so people get very frustrated with training when we don't lay out their clear job description. And so I'm a huge advocate of having, you know, people most commonly call it skills levels or career pathing where, you know, you come into a hospital with a certain set of skills and we have to acknowledge that someone who went to school comes in with a different set of skills skills, then I don't know the bank teller that the owner brought me and said, here you go. They know how to pet a dog. Now, can you make them into a veterinary assistant? And I'm like, excellent. So we have to have different skill paths Mm -hmm. for those two individuals, but then clearly line out where the skills are and make it rewarding. And I am a big fan that when you get more increase in responsibility and a more increase in skills, you get more money. So that should go Mm -hmm. without saying. Yes. And so 
for a lot of hospitals, we just start at that basic point. Do you have this? Do you have clear direction in what you want people to learn in this hospital? Mm-hmm. Most of the time, the answer is no. So yeah. that's usually yeah. step one as in yeah. terms of training. That's amazing. So it's so funny you were mentioning skills, and, I, and I'm so sorry, but what popped into my head, and I hopefully this is your tagline, is good old Liam Neeson, who has a particular set of skills that he's <laughs> acquired it, yes. over a <laughs> long career. What is it? Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> that should be your, your hashtag. The Positive Leadership Podcast really is aimed at veterinary practice managers and veterinary owners, and certainly anybody involved in leadership, that's a lot of our listenership. So Andrea and I, and certainly you can kind of beat the dead horse all day that training is important. However, how can managers integrate better training into their practices? And I want to qualify this for a minute because I know that you know what we go through, but you're not a practice manager. That's not your your role. But I want to just kind of set the stage for what practice managers deal with, right? Which is yeah. phones are ringing off the hook. Payroll's got to get done. The owner's yelling at you to fire somebody. Three technicians that have called out. One that's you know got a back injury. Four surgeries that need to get done. And a client that's upset waiting in room three. Yeah. So in the reality of what a more of a small practice how can managers really integrate better training? You know, why is it important? Why should they make time and prioritize time for that? And then how can the manager do that versus the trainer versus the tech? How can the managers really facilitate that? I mean, when we look at real life experience, it's great when you read a textbook or read a blog or something about this is what you need. But then the real world experience comes into play and you're like, oh, snap, it is not fitting into I had good intentions. You know, you develop out this plan and then it all goes to shit. Right. So and everyone's like, well, how am I supposed to fit this in? Because real world is very different than what's on paper. I think I can't understate the importance of training. So we know that especially when it comes to veterinary technicians and nurses, that more qualified equals actually more revenue to the hospital. Hit me up for those studies if you want them. There's Fantastic. Say it again exactly. one more time for the people in the <laughs> I, back. I will. So, so yeah, more qualified veterinary technicians equals more revenue for your hospital. And there's been several good studies out there. I think the most recent one said that for every credentialed veterinary technician, the hospital actually brought in an extra $93,000. So that is pretty impressive. And who doesn't want the money? That's one reason for training. The other reasons for training is certainly just for motivation and for making people feel valued. People love to learn. You, We all have that feeling when we go to conferences, we sit there. I mean, Andrea, you were just talking about how excited you were about the VHMA and sitting through those yeah. sessions and yes, how right. jazzed up you get. And so, yes. yeah, the same thing happens for our team. When they go to sessions, they come back, they feel invigorated, renewed. There's way less burnout, at least for a short period of time, because through that short period of time, they're like, this is an amazing career. Even from that standpoint of just professional development. That is amazing to do. But then it gets into how do we actually implement it? And so here's the things that we have failed at in veterinary medicine. We have failed, all of us, but even our businesses have failed at setting boundaries. And we need to get better at it. Veterinary medicine has really catered to clients. And I think we need to continue to do that, but we need to do it in a way that's healthy for us and for our team and for our business. Training's very important. It is so easy to just say, well, I have no time for that and I need to move on because I have these client appointments or I've got this or that. 
Right now, everybody is super busy, which means you're all making money, right. which means yeah. you can block an appointment or two off and have a training time, right? Yes. So there's no reason. Nobody is right now. Veterinary medicine's doing so well. Take this time right now to take care of the team and pause cancel out appointment at the end of the day or build in an extra break or something like that. But make sure that you actually take that time to say, train the CPR or have a, an in-house, you know, meeting about a particular topic or something like that, or bring in a guest speaker and have them on zoom now because everybody can, you know, now bring in someone via zoom. So whatever that looks like, I think that's one way that we can tackle it. And then a, certainly another way of tackling it is having a designated individual whose job it is to just train people. And so we sometimes fight against roles that are not necessarily on the job and directly dealing with pets and clients. We think those jobs are useless. They're just adding, you know, fluff to the payroll. But those jobs are really important because if you can have someone whose sole job is to build out training programs and training models and really get people's skills up, then the more skilled individuals you have, likely you're going to decrease turnover. You're going to increase revenue, your team's going to be way happier. It's a win-win for everybody. So that person's salary is going to be justified in those things alone. So I don't think there's a perfect way, but I think we have to start thinking outside the box. And I hate hearing it because like you said, time and time, I have no time. We got to start making time, people. We got to start making time. This yeah, is important I agree. stuff. Carve the time out. We had an interview, Dr. Peter Weinstein, not too long ago, David and I did. And he talked about our teams being a car and he said, when's the last time that we've, you know, given it some oil or waxed it or, <laughs> you know, yeah. put some gas in the engine, you know, and we talk about our teams being <laughs> like burnt out and running it. Yeah. yeah like a hundred <laughs> miles an hour all the time. And it's like, yeah. when are we taking some time to put back into our teams? And, and you're right. Coming from a conference, right? We all come home. I always say like, come home with a conference hard on. We're just so excited. We're like, yeah, let's get after <laughs> yeah. it. And our team is like, oh, great. She went to another conference. Here we go. Right. But knowing that we can have our team be that excited about something too, without even having to leave the practice, we can do that just in Zooms, right. Or just within our own four walls and our practices just by, you know, giving them some gas and detailing the car. So yeah. Amy, you mentioned it having one person to train and David had um, mentioned it earlier about train the trainer. Talk to me about this one person, is it really best to have one person on your payroll that's in your practice that's doing all the training soup to nuts? Or is it better to break that up into different areas? And how do we select this one person? Or goodness, if it's 10 people, right? What is it about that person that's training our teams? How do we pick them? How do we select them? How do we go out when the pool of candidates is nil? Do we look internal? Like where does this magical person come from? Because I would love to clone them and, and take <laughs> yeah. them to all my practices. Absolutely. So I think that the one person is the person who is responsible for identifying the subject matter experts, right? It would be amazing if one person could train everything, but I can't train everything. Nobody can. But what makes a, an effective trainer so great is that they have the ability to delegate to others and make sure that they find the person who's best suited to train whatever skill needs to be trained. And so that's really the key. In most hospitals, you don't need more than one person, but it's like 
you know, sort of like think about, I don't know, your inventory manager. They may order the inventory, but they're probably going to still talk to the surgeon about what do you need? Because the surgeon is the subject matter expert for that particular department. And so the surgeon may say, oh, we're short on this or that. Or you know what? The last time you ordered X, Y, and Z, and I don't love it. So this trainer role, if you do decide to develop it out in your hospital, this person is really the facilitator of training. It's going to help to make sure mm. that we can find the people that need to you know, right now I'm a VTS in emergency critical care. Nobody wants me teaching anesthesia. I'll just be honest with you. Um, so <laughs> right. I need to go find a VTS in anesthesia, analgesia, or I need to find a boarded anesthesiologist. That is what needs to happen because nobody wants Amy Newfield doing her emergency medicine anesthesia training. That is, <laughs> that is ugly at best. So, right. <laughs> so yeah, I think, you know, you also asked what makes them ideal for this job. It really isn't about necessarily their own skill set. Though it's nice to have a trainer that maybe is a veterinary technician specialist or is really highly skilled in one area. The focus is how can they get the material to be delivered and how can they, you know, mm. what's their or level of organizational skills? And so this person mm -hmm. really needs to be empathetic, compassionate, kind. The team ideally trusts this individual because you get better buy-in whenever you trust somebody. I mean, mm -hmm. if I didn't trust somebody right. to deliver yeah. good content, I'm going to be real mad about every training, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and then they ultimately are that coach that, that we talked about before. You know, it's not about telling someone you've done something wrong. It's not about telling them like, this is my way or the highway or you're failing at X, Y, and Z. It's about mm -hmm. building people up, getting them to believe that they can do something that maybe they didn't think they could do before and coaching them to whatever skill we would like. And so mm -hmm. it really is about that. Yeah, makes sense. Next kind of hard hitting question is there a right way or a wrong way to train? And I think it's probably always more fun to talk about the wrong way, right? But I definitely <laughs> would love to hear your thoughts on the right way. What are some general quick approaches? Uh, you know, on the Positive Leadership Podcast, we always try to make this stuff that we go over actionable. And we're going to talk about that in a little a little bit. But things that people could kind of do, you know, tomorrow or on Monday. So, you know, what what is the wrong way to train? And then what are some right ways to train? So the wrong way to train is to tell people exactly how to do it, my way or the highway, and to make them feel like they're less than. And unfortunately, I've met many trainers, you know, even well-meaning veterinarians or well-meaning practice managers who attempt to coach individuals, but it comes across as, let me show you how to do it. And then there's a sort of body pushing out of the way and say, you were doing it wrong. That is definitely the wrong way to train people because that causes them to shut down they feel embarrassed. They're like, oh my gosh, I feel like an idiot, right? Um, because So that's how we've been training since the invention of veterinary medicine, yes, right? correct. Since, right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you just pass down Beginning the bat, you know, time, how to do it from right. tech to tech, True. tech So that's why we do it the same way today that we did 30 Every years time. ago. Because yeah, they right. just told us to do it the same way for 30 years. Exactly. <laughs> we just push people out of the way and we go, let me show you my way. Let me right. show you how to right. do it. And that my is, way or the highway. Yeah, it's terrible. Or my favorite is we don't train at all because no one ever trained us. And so why right. should we train others? Yes. Um, and so that's my other favorite one. Or it's not my job to train. It's just so non-existent yeah, yeah, exactly. in our profession to have good training, right? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there's many different ways that obviously adult learners learn. And so we have to respect that. And so I think really good, effective trainers, if you're really focused on the skill set of training, 
training another individual, coaching them through something, have a conversation with the other person. How do you like to learn? Do you want to read an article and then do hands-on? Would you like to look at a video and then maybe do hands-on? Because hands-on obviously is one of the big ways that veterinary professionals pretty much learn. But I think starting with that conversation, and if you are doing group training, recognize that there's some people who are going to find a lecture portion of it to be terrible. But if you build out many different ways of delivering the material, it's probably going to sit a lot better. So there are some people who read it, see a video, and they want to just do it. Okay, those people, kudos to them. Then there's some people who want to watch a video. They want you to show them side by side. Don't don't you leave my side. I'm right here. And then I might do it one step at a time with you, right? So I think we really have to get into what is the right way for the individual person. And that's really the best trainers have that ability to bring that out of each person. And then, you know, this person likes to learn this way. This person likes to learn that way. And again, for me, I think you can't just have one way. I see a lot of, I'll give you an example of the central line. I think that we can show people how to do it probably in under 10 minutes, but do they actually understand why they're doing it? Do they understand the risks? Do they understand the issues? And so that's, one of the many wrong ways that I see, because it's let me show you how to do it. And we try to fit it in very quickly because we're super busy. So we do it in real life time thinking that that's a se- effective training. But a lot of people don't even know what a central line is. They don't know, oh my gosh, well, if I leave the guide wire in the thoracic cavity, I got to go in. My surgeon's going to no- need to do a thoracotomy and the owner's going to be ticked off. Like they don't know those things because you're so quickly just going through the steps. They think they understand it. So I think we have to also figure out, like, are we really training? Or are we just showing somebody how to do it? And what does that really mean? So, And Amy, this is where I, I the HR person to me super geeks out, right? Because you're talking about different types of learning processes. And this is where I like, I start chomping at the bit, right? So we have um, auditory learners, like you you talked about, right? They hear it and they're they're on it, right? You have visual learners that they see it. And, and they can do it. Just show me one time and then, then I can get after it. But then you have these kinesthetic learners, right? And so oftentimes in our profession, the technicians and the surgeons, you cannot tell a surgeon, you cannot tell a technician, here, watch me. They are going to flip their lid and never learn a stinking thing, right? Yeah. You have to like, I remember having a supervisor. I literally went to her and, and she was a really good at explaining things, but watch me. I literally took vet wrap around her hands and vet wrapped her hands. <laughs> and I said, this is how I want you to tra- train today, Bethany. And she about killed me, but that's what it's going to take because we have these kinesthetic learners that are like, no, 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 watch me. And I'm like, no, 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 let them do it. They're kinesthetic learners. Yeah. So yes, there is a little bit of this backup, this book work, right? Like we, we have to understand the concept before we can jump right in into placing that central line. Right. But Start with some of that basic. This is what it is. This is anatomy and physiology. We're like, oh my gosh, wow. Like we have to know what we're getting into, right? There's some book work that needs to be done, right? There's some consequences. There's some good, bad, and ugly. And then we're getting into the show me, which is what our kinesthetic learners and our, our typically our technicians need to be able to have that hands-on experience and actually start you know, like I say with surgeons, right? They have to touch the tissue. They have to get yes. in there with their their hands. That's that's how they are. Yes, absolutely. So you, you talk about breaking up some training. So I'd love to hear some feedback from you of how we can incorporate some of this and what are some of these specific learning styles 
what types of training have you been able to incorporate to accommodate both the auditory, the visual, and then, of course, the majority of our learners is these kinesthetic learners. Can you talk to us a little bit about how can we type them? How can we say, how do you learn best? Like, they don't even necessarily know how they That's learn true. best. Yeah. Talk about absolutely. that a little bit. So I sort of like pain control in veterinary medicine. It's multimodal, right? So we really want to make sure that we kind of hit everybody up at the same time. And so one of the things that I always advocate now is embrace the technology, people. Just embrace it. It's here. Let's utilize it to our advantage. Let's make our lives easier. And especially, again, we go back to the I'm too busy to train model. In this moment, and again, if you're requesting your team to do stuff on their time off or do stuff after work or try to squeeze something in and they're doing it after work, get them paid for it. Because again, pay, pay them, right? pay pay them. them for an hour pay or them. two hours. Yes. Like it's not going to, if your payroll budget is so tight that an hour or two of 10 people is going to make or break it, we've got bigger fish to fry. Like right, it's exactly. make or break the hospital. <laughs> in the room, then. <laughs> yeah, that's, we got bigger issues. So um, right. you definitely want to encourage, you know, it, and, and maybe they can't do it on the clock, but you can say, Hey, this month, can you do me a favor, go in and, and watch a video. And, you know, even if you don't have your own internal learning management software program, because those things can be very expensive, right? We've got amazing online continuing education, huge banks of, of CE that you could just assign to them. And a lot of like the well-known ones, you could literally have a hospital account where you can go in and assign content to them. And so for example, the we'll go back to that central Venus line example. So that's a pretty complicated conversation to have and it's time consuming. So let someone else do the work for you. So you literally will have them watch a video where they learn about the pros and the cons and the complications and all the things that can go wrong. So this is the infamous see one, do one, teach one model. And so this goes back to, I don't know, apprenticeship days, and, but it works really well because it's a learning by doing model, which veterinary professionals really resonate with. And even if someone say, I'm just a C1 or I just want to jump right in and do one. You don't need to show me anything. It's still probably better and safest to do the C1, do one, and then teach one. The teach one, it gets really uncomfortable for people, especially if they just did one. So I always say maybe do like three or four and then teach one <laughs> because the teaching one back can be a little bit hard for people. They get uncomfortable. They still have an imposter syndrome about what new skill they yeah. learn. That's so, a good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they go, C1, wait. do one. That's a good point. Yeah, yep. I always like maybe see one, do five, and then teach one. <laughs> so, because that would be my comfort level. I'd point. like to nail down the skill first before I have to explain it back to you. Yeah. But yeah, so let technology be your guide and let technology help you out. And then if everyone's on the same page with the basic knowledge, now we can get the, the hands on. Now we can get to the nitty gritty. Picture, you know, if you had 10 surgeons in a room, let's just say you had, you know, 10 brand new surgeons and they've never done a spay before, but they've watched a video, they've read a blog article and they've taken some tests. They're all on the same page. You go in and you're like, okay, guys, you're going to follow along with me. Okay. I need you to make an incision. Everybody makes an incision. Just think about the time saving because they've already done a lot of the pre-work. So pre-work is huge, but pre-work can be fun and technology driven. So I'm a big fan of that. And then certainly the do one. And then the teach one's important because if they can explain it back to you, it's, you know, it's really sitting in their brain at that point, you know, they've got it and they can go, Oh yeah, I can mm -hmm. teach one. And here's the other thing. As they get better with the skill, 
the next go around for the next new group that comes mm -hmm. through, you go, Hey, would you mind teaching that for me? You're going to uh, see a moment of panic mm -hmm. in their face, but um, you're going to go, I got, you got right. this. You've been doing you this. Yes, mm -hmm. right. You've right. now got done There's 50 the of them. You got yeah, this. Exactly. So now you teach. So that makes yeah, sense. Absolutely. The best teachers are the ones that allow others to teach in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, very yeah. true. Absolutely. Because it's not about ego, right? It's about it's them not. actually stepping back and letting other, it's, it's the whole idea of the, like, what is it? The, um, I don't know who said it, but the lead to be replaceable idea, right? Like you lead, you lead so damn hard that your team could replace you, you know, that type of, yeah, exactly. that type of thing. Exactly. So as we start to kind of finish the kind of interview part and we get to talk about some other fun stuff, we think about on the Positive Leadership Podcast, we record these often on Fridays. And so they launch a bit after we record them. But then we try to think if people were listening, not necessarily on a Friday, but a few days after they listened, what could they literally do tomorrow? And many <laughs> people are working, some people are off, but like Monday morning, 8am, what are like one or really two good action items that managers and owners, the people that could put in place in their practices, you know, tomorrow to, you know, to implement or to kind of affect better training in the practice? So I think first of all, I'm a huge fan of analyzing the situation. And so again, I talked about sort of the sporadic training moments that we have that are not usually that effective because they just pop up here and there. They may not get to the whole team. And they're usually what they are is just trying to put out a fire. Someone, you know, gave a wrong drug dose. So now we're going to just quickly talk to people about how to make sure that we, you know, do the five R's, the right route, the right patient, the right time, all of those things to make sure that we don't mess up drug doses again. And so it's a knee-jerk reaction usually to a response that happened in the hospital. So instead of having sporadic training, I first want tomorrow you to look at where is your team in their knowledge and their learning. And so you can go ahead and start putting them in actual classifications like this person. I would put them maybe at a, a very beginning level. This one's maybe intermediate. You can define them out. I know a lot of people use actual skill levels like I talked about before, levels one through four. And identify then. And sometimes I think the best way to get team buy-in whenever we're rolling out a, like a large scale initiative for training program ask them what they want to learn about. Ask them what they're uncomfortable about because I guarantee you anesthesia is going to be there. Maybe dental profies, right? So things like that. What are they uncomfortable about? And then you're going to start to hear the themes and that can be your buy-in to really engaging them by getting them excited within the first one or two trainings by offering them something that the majority was really interested in. And so tomorrow, just figure out where you are in your training, that's probably step one. What is my team? Where are they? Are they all green? Are they all in the middle? Are they all superstars? Maybe we need to figure out how to escalate our superstars. What does that look like? And then the second part of it is, what can my hospital invest in in terms of training? Can we identify one person that's able to do a deep dive into sort of identifying resources, get training into our hospitals, and this is their only job? Or maybe it's a part-timer. Maybe we've got somebody who we're just going to start with part-time. And so how can we really then truly develop out a training plan rather than these, oh my God, a crisis happened. Now let's all bring in uh, somebody to teach us about CPR. Because that it's not going to grow the hospital in the way that you want because it's just a knee-jerk reaction to a problem that happens. So I would say probably tomorrow is just see where you are with your own training program. Really evaluate it and take a look at it. 
and, and make a plan to move forward, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. You know, gap analysis. Here's where I am. This is where I want to go. And here's the big gap of the ravine in between. And so here's what I can do to get where I want to be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say this, it seems overwhelming when you look at it, especially if you have a lot of green staff, you're going to be like, but Amy, they need to learn everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Soup to nuts. Oh no. (laughs) All right. Slow down. What are the most important things? What are the things that they do the most that they need training in? And let's identify that and make sure that you chart your progress. Like Andrea, like you said, make sure that you actually develop out a true plan. Because sometimes when you look back, when you look at the initial moment, it feels like I've not done anything. But yeah, then you look back. But you really have. Yeah, you really have. Yeah. Like, oh, we train this and we train this and we train this. Wow. We really did do a lot, but sometimes it seems like time moves slowly. Sometimes it yeah. moves quickly, but <laughs> forget the little things, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah Celebrate the accomplishments. Yeah, absolutely. Amy, if you could give one piece of advice to yourself or to our listeners, I know myself 10 years ago, I would never listen, but <laughs> if you could give to yourself a piece of advice, you know, back in the beginning, like you said, 20, I think you said 23 years you've been in the veterinary profession, you know, what, what would that be? Or give a piece of advice to our listeners today. What would that be? Yeah, it's interesting. I would have never said this to my younger version of myself, but I will say this now with utter confidence, knowing that I'm not perfect at it. It is okay to take care of yourself. It really is. Mm, And I wish I had known that in my younger years because I thought that if I worked super hard and I burned myself out and I said yes to absolutely everything and I just kept picking up more and doing more that people would understand and they would either pay me more or promote me or... I don't know what I was thinking because life is really fantastic and there's, I think there's a, there can be a happy balance between this wonderful, amazing job that we all work in because for me, this is a passion and that's for everybody. That's why you went into it. You went in, this isn't just a job. Nobody just goes, oh, I'm just going to go in to become, you know, a veterinarian or a veterinary technician. No, it's a passion. This is what we went in for is our passion. But along the way, we forget about that and we stop taking care of ourselves and we start giving and giving and giving to everybody else. And then at some point we become cranky and tired and burned out and we don't know what went wrong. And so, yeah, somewhere along the way yeah. it's been sidetracked. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I would say to my younger version of myself. Like maybe just enjoy the job more because it's a pretty awesome job. <laughs> yeah. And I think that just by nature, that's who we are, right? We're givers. That's why we're in the profession that we are. And yeah. all this, you know, we've given so much that our cup is empty Yeah, and we like, what happened there? <laughs> How yeah. did that work? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So we've all had those encounters and you have had, I can imagine, plethora of them as long as you have been in the profession like David and I have. These encounters with either like a client or an employee or a boss, a practice owner, I mean, you know, list goes on and on, vendors, whatever it may be, where you hit this moment where your chin hits the ground and your eyes pop out of your head like pugs. And your bomb hits the forehead and you say, no freaking way could I make this shit up. Pinch me. Am I dreaming or is this real? This just happened. Can you share a story that you no freaking way you cannot make this shit up story? Yeah, of course I can. I feel like everybody in veterinary medicine has that. Right, exactly. (laughs) Give me your Uh, best because I know there's lots of them. So mine is about a dead porcupine. So, and I guarantee you, no one with that, right? (laughs) About a dead porcupine. And so luckily this occurred when I was already in my 30s because how I handled it was way more professional than my younger version of myself. So this lady came in 
to our veterinary hospital and inside a bag was a deceased porcupine that had a hair pick in its quills, had been dressed up, had a bow oh. in its quills. Yes. Oh. Yes. No yes. yes. And you're just like, so this lady goes, I need you to help me. And I was like, she's holding a bag. Her pet must be dead. So I said, come on in this room. And she opened up this bag to see this dressed up deceased porcupine that smelled like it was ungodly. I can't oh. even describe. And I went, I, I just looked at her and I said, is, is this what you need help with? And she said, yes, you need to save her. And I was like, oh, oh, no. oh no. So luckily I had a lot of compassion and empathy. My younger version of myself might've been more cynical and been like, ma'am, this is a road killed porcupine. That <laughs> yeah, my, my, my older version of myself luckily was like, oh my gosh. And what do you even say? And how do you even keep a straight face? Because this woman was very serious. And so we had, I think for us in that team, it was, you know, they don't train you on how to handle mental health crises. And that's really what this was. Yeah, sure. yeah it really was. And so we attempted to talk to her. She is obviously not of right mind and sound. What she believed was that this animal is actually alive and she would occasionally move its arms up and down mm. like it was talking to her or waving to her. Mm. And we were like, oh, so we ended up calling you know, the non-emergency number and explained mm -hmm. that we had this woman in our hospital. We really didn't know what to do, but this went on for five hours of our veterinary day. So oh yes, my. it was a lot of, there was a lot of drama. There was a lot of, you know, conversating. Um, you know, it was, it was one of those stories where you're like, you still look back and you, I just immediately, you know, the thing that, have you mm -hmm. ever had this story, the dead porcupine that was completely dressed up to the nines with a bow tied around several quills. And I was like, oh my gosh, what do we do in this moment? Yeah, that mm -hmm. definitely happened. Wow. It, wow. it was one wow. of many <laughs> crazy stories, but the deceased porcupine that was dressed up like a human oh. being in a bag. Yeah, mm. that was I don't, I'm, I've never had another one since then, yeah. and I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's oh enough. You met your quota. Exactly. But it's one of those moments where the whole team, to this day, when you say it's X, Y, Z might be crazy, someone goes, oh, it's not nearly as crazy as the porcupine. <laughs> <laughs> not as crazy. Oh, right. Man. Not nearly. That's, that's a whole funny. level that we have never revisited, and I appreciate uh -huh. that. Nor do you crazy care to, right? Care. No, 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 no. Oh, so, yeah. gosh. Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Well, as we start to wrap up the show, we're now entering the rapid fire section. So are you ready or do you need any time I'm to ready. Prep? Let's do this. Okay. All right. <laughs> Tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. 
I think the most epic failure I had in the hospital was when I was trying to sound super serious to my team. And then I walked right into a water bucket full of dirty poop water and spilled it, fell onto the ground and landed on my butt. And the team no longer could be very serious. So that definitely has left a lasting impact to look where you're walking and not just blindly talking to a team. (laughs) Tell me about your proudest moment. Publishing my book. Why veterinary medicine? What do you just love about our profession? I like pets better than I like people. And so that's why I went into veterinary medicine. (laughs) Self-care. How do you practice it? How do you decompress? I am a trail runner. And so I will run in the woods with my two dogs every day. It's wonderful. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience any work guilt in that balance? I absolutely experience work guilt in that balance, but I think it's important to tell the liar inside your head to shut up. What keeps you up at night? Things that stress you out or things that cause you anxiety in your side business, your current role, life? Yeah, so plenty, but it's all stupid things in the end. And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? Just life in general. It's beautiful. Awesome. Awesome. Amy, thank you so much. Thank you, Amy. This was so much fun. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a real honor. I really appreciate it. Thank you. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P A W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a -A P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.